When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Don't Let This Flop, a podcast about internet culture brought to you by Rolling Stone, where two smart people talk about the dumbest shit that happened online this week. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm EJ Dixon. So I've made no secret that my TikTok for you page has not been typical in years. I literally cannot name you most of the big influencers, mostly because I never see their dumb videos. Like they never come up for me. I don't think I like had seen an S and Ray video until like late 2020. Yeah, I know you get himbos. I know you get Leah Michelle content because you're constantly sending me Leah Michelle content that I've seen like two you minutes ago. You know who I'm getting a lot of content about? Aaron Tveit. And I blame you. Oh my God, same. Yeah, no, it's my fault. I get Aaron Tveit stuff like literally every single day and I put not interested on it because I don't want it. Like I don't care for him that much. Anyway, I was getting like a lot of her stories. So when people were getting a lot of, of like dances and like the influencers and like the really big TikTok people on their pages constantly... I was getting like cursed stories that were like, here's like how my like my sister ended up marrying my dad who wasn't really my dad. He was actually like my uncle. It's like weird. I don't know. Like stuff like that. That's the kind of stuff I was getting. And I ate it all up. I've been on TikTok since I guess early 2019. And I stopped getting dances pretty quickly. And just because, I don't know, my taste is cursed. And that was before a lot of those bigger influencers blew up. And I was barely getting any dances again until spring 2020. And that was only because everyone was doing them. That was when Say So was blowing up. That's when Blinding Lights was blowing up. Basically, my For You page had missed like the renegade. Everyone was bored at home and doing those dances. And that's changed a lot because of Lizzo now. My entire For You page has never been as many people dancing as it has been in the last two weeks because of Lizzo's new single. That's been a lot for a lot of people where you may have noticed that your content has been flooded with this one song in particular, which is her new single about damn time. And it's a pretty standard Lizzo song. It's catchy. It's empowering. It's retro, but not trying too hard to reference anything. It's completely inoffensive and fun. And I like it. I don't mind hearing it all the time. And I also like Lizzo as a pop star. And I think it's also my it's been flooded because I follow Lizzo on TikTok and I enjoy her content. She posts a lot of really fun videos. The dance is also super easy. It's a lot of like, you're checking the time and there's also like boob touching, boob touching, boob touching. Yes. Hip popping, hip popping, hip hop. It's like a very imitatable dance to do. (laughs) It's a very easy dance. And I think that's like the appeal of both Lizzo's music and this type of dance, right? Where like Lizzo's music is really like an all ages type of thing. All people like that is like her vibe is like your grandma can listen to Lizzo but like a teenager can really love Lizzo. Like it's just like for everyone, the dance too, there's a wide variety of people doing the dance. There's major pop stars, there's older people, there's like D-list actors showing up and doing the dance. There's like influencers doing it. Like everyone's doing this damn dance. Like it's all over. And you may get a lot of Lizzo videos. I don't know if you have EJ or if you've seen a lot of her content on TikTok. I get her horny for Chris Evans content. Primarily. And like videos of her eating salads and being horny for primarily Chris Evans. Yeah. So Lizzo has become very active on TikTok since spring 2020, around the time that the great dance flood of the app happened. And she posts a lot. Like she posts a lot, especially for a pop star. A lot of pop stars kind of just show up when they're promoting something. But Lizzo wasn't really promoting anything for most of 2020 and like most of 2021 until her single rumors came out last summer. But she was just posting so much. She'll cook vegan food on there. She'll twerk and show off her ass. She'll be exceptionally horny for Chris Evans. Like she just posts about like random content. Like she's just like bored at home posting stuff. And she's incredibly charming on the app in all the ways you want a good influencer to be. She also seemed to be studying how to make a hit on TikTok. So again, she had had her big year in 2019, of course, where Truth Hurts was a major sleeper hit and blew up. She had released her big album. She had basically a bunch of songs from like 2017 for her were blowing up in 2019. 
And that was, of course, like her, the big year of Lizzo, which she kind of took some time off, like 2020 again, hanging out on TikTok, being horny for Chris Evans, as we all are, and like just kind of hanging out. And when her song Rumors came out, the song kind of ended up becoming a little bit of a TikTok hit on its own, not because of Lizzo. There was, I don't know if you remember this video, EJ, but there was- Oh, of course I do. Of course I do. It's really hard to describe, but it's basically these like kind of, they look like monsters, like- Curse Monsters Inc. characters. Like porn, Monsters Inc. If Monsters Inc. had a strip club that they went to during their lunch hour and they're just like kind of swaying to the song and like shaking their ass and they look amazing. Yeah. And it's like, it's hard to describe it as a dance. It was mostly like just a strut and it was set to rumors and it was just like this like weird strut that people were imitating on the app. Lizzo did not create this. A random user created this. So that song kind of blew up. But again, it wasn't as big as like a, you know, Good As Hell or a Truth Hurts or anything. But it did moderately well. And we've talked a little bit about other stars who are really, really good at TikTok. Of course, Doja Cat's really good at TikTok. She doesn't really like do it as much with music promotion on there. She's just weird on TikTok. But Lil Nas X was very, very smart with it because he was promoting songs like six months in advance on TikTok, getting people really, really riled up for basically all of Montero for months and months by dropping snippets and making content around it and then finally dropping the music and those songs became really big hits. So it seems like Lizzo had been sort of studying how to organically make a hit work on TikTok. So with About Damn Time in early April, she started teasing the song and she kind of took the success of the song into her TikTok following's hands. So she aggressively promoted the sound on her page. She would put like a teaser of the song in every single video she was doing. She's just kind of posting it constantly. She even did a video celebrating the announcement of Katanji Brown Jackson's appointment to the Supreme Court featuring About Damn Time. Like the song was everywhere Lizzo was. It's about damn time. You know what I think is really interesting is you mentioned Doja Cat before, who's also another celebrity, probably like the same level of Lizzo's stardom, who is really also really, really, really good at TikTok. But when I interviewed Doja Cat, actually, I asked her about how do you make a good TikTok song? Because obviously this was like maybe a year or so after Say So had taken off and, you know, that dance had just completely taken over the app. And she was very much like, you didn't really want to answer the question. Granted, that was probably because she just wanted to like sit and hit her vape probably. But she was more just like, yeah, you know, I think it's really cringe when you go into the studio and everybody is talking about like how they want to make a great TikTok song. But I really think it's more organic than that. It is. I don't know, because I think what Lizzo is doing, Lizzo is kind of taking the exact opposite approach. You'll never see Doja Cat like on her page aggressively like promoting her new songs, like trying to get people to make a dance for it. There's a difference, right? There's a difference between a TikTok song and TikTok promotion. So there's a TikTok song where you are making a sound specifically to be viral on TikTok, right? Like there's a lot of people who do that. There's a lot of people who kind of make the sort of like 30 second moments in a song that are meant to go viral on TikTok, which sort of was a thing, I think, in like 2020 and 2021, where people were so hungry to make new artists blow up that they were kind of making music that had no sort of like actual, it didn't really have a lot beyond just like this, like the 30 seconds of a hook that could be used on TikTok. But the difference is like the idea of how you promote a song on TikTok and wanting a song to kind of blow up on TikTok, which is kind of the interesting part about this too, is like Lizzo's promoting the song, but then there is a part of the song, which is this like second verse, which is kind of a different melody and cadence from the first verse. It's like a little bit like a, like a struttier, like kind of sexy R&B moment on it that a creator, Jaden Gomez, created a dance for. And we haven't seen a lot of dances blow up on TikTok, right? Like it's been a while since a song has blown up. Right. When was the last one? There's so many songs that have blown up through TikTok, but not because of dances. Like As It Was has been blowing up on TikTok, but not because of a dance. And like, there's a lot of songs that just aren't attached to that. So again, Jaden Gomez created the dance. And instead of Lizzo waiting to do the dance the way she had done with Rumors, she immediately took it in as her own. She even posts tutorials. She's been reposting everyone doing the dance. She's been promoting it. She was doing it in various locales. She was at Coachella. So she was like doing it in the desert. She was doing it at like her house. She was doing it in the studio. She was trying to get Kim Kardashian to do it with her at the Met Gala. Like all of her videos are her doing this dance now. And she has completely taken it into her hands to make the song bigger by making a viral dance continue to go even more viral. And it's working. Selena Gomez just did it several times, actually. 
a lot of people are are doing this dance. And it's been a really long time since something like this has been the reason to propel a song into the top 10, which it did well, this week. You say that, but just a few weeks ago, we were talking about the My Name is Chicky dance. Is that a top 10 hit? I have to fact check. <laughs> it's a top 10 hit to me. <laughs> it's going platinum in EJ's headphones. It, I mean, that's for fucking sure. I mean, I do feel like the dances that have gone viral have been dances like that, that are sort of like post TikTok dance. There is something very cringe about this. Like we should just say it. Like there is something very cringe about like an artist releasing a song and no matter how good the song is and then everybody jumping on this dance. I kind of disagree. I think there's a huge difference between between like, I don't know, I think like a lot of people want their favorite pop stars to do these types of dances. And like, I think like to have someone like Lizzo, who's not famous because of TikTok and kind of predated sort of the rise of TikTok and the rise of music blowing up on TikTok, like Truth Hurts blew up outside of that. And I mean, this is only like 2019, which is like crazy, but like Truth Hurts and like Good As Hell blew up like outside of all of that. I think when Blinding Lights blew up, like the weekend, people were like begging the weekend to do the dance, never do the dance. Like none of these like major pop stars kind of give into it. So I think it's kind of fun to see that sort of happen in in real time where she's like absorbing this, but also making it part of the way that she's actually promoting the song and giving it credit to the reason why it is blowing up, which is this creator's dance. And I think it's kind of fun, but I don't know. There is something very like nostalgic. We've talked in the past about like nostalgia for the early days of the pandemic. And I do feel like this is also sort of capitalizing on that. Yeah, because I mean, I think a big reason why dances have fallen off from the app is that one, songs were blowing up outside of dances, right? Like I think labels became less interested in sort of like unorganically making those viral moments happen because songs were just kind of happening no matter what. I mean, we were seeing like like Dreams by Fleetwood Mac blowing up because someone was skateboarding to it. Like anything can be a viral moment on an app. And people weren't at home bored. Yeah, and people weren't at home bored. Like people, like they peel the dances, but you could literally just do this at home in your pajamas. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to leave your house and you could just do a dance and you could go viral for it for people thinking you're hot or a good dancer or because you're not hot and a bad dancer. That could also be a reason to go viral. Who knows? <laughs> That's the reason why I'll go viral. <laughs> <laughs> so it's interesting to see it kind of come back. I'm curious like what it's going to do to the song. I feel like it's going to. Oh, we're all going to be so tired of this by next week. <laughs> yeah. It's time for straight people, except it's time for straight people. Gay edition. Because Yay. gay people can have bad vibes too. Straight people. So this week we have to discuss Cara Delevingne. We have to. It's unreasonable for us to ignore what happened and what's been happening. And like most weeks, this is not someone we want to discuss. It's just that Cara's behavior has been so unhinged lately that we couldn't possibly avoid getting into it. I thought she was done. I thought she was done. What we happened? Did. So if you're unfamiliar, Cara Delevingne is the former A-list model who is now a C-list actress. <laughs> These days, she's more famous for her rumor trysts with various hot women in Hollywood. There's that viral saying that I think is from Twitter that once said, like, girls stop coming out. Now they're just spotted hanging out with Cara Delevingne. Like, that's like her whole vibe now is like every single person might be by at least if they're hanging out with Cara. Has anyone done like an L word chart for Cara? I have seen one. Wait, no. No, it was for St. Vincent, actually. Oh, well, if anybody would like to do that for me and send it to Kinko's and blow it up and send it to me so I can put it over my bed, that would be really appreciated. Yeah, I saw one for St. Vincent, who is Cara's ex. So there was a lot of connections. Right. So Cara identifies as pansexual and she's dated the likes of St. Vincent, Ashley Benson, and has had like a lot of rumored romances with the likes of Selena Gomez, Kaya Gerber, and Miley Cyrus, among many others, like most, pretty much any like A-list Hollywood woman who's hung out with her. There's been like articles or rumors that they've boned. And so that's basically her claim to fame at this point. Kara might have a new mark, none other than supreme hottie Megan Thee Stallion. The pair were first spotted dancing up a storm at a Met Gala after party. And the viral video is very, very cringe. Basically, Kara is seen dancing all up on Meg and even getting her face super close. And basically Meg looks like she's pushing Kara away a little bit. Like it's like very uncomfortable to watch because it's just like, why is Kara getting that close to her? Meg looks uncomfortable. Like everyone was just roasting Kara for this and like pissed that she had made Meg so uncomfortable. It's a very weird video. So after that, we were just like, okay, that's a weird moment from the Met Gala, a night of nothing but weird celebrity moments. And 
given the fact that she did, that Meg did look uncomfortable in the dance video, it was surprising to see as the pair had linked up again at the Billboard Music Awards this past Sunday. So on the red carpet, Kara is first seen lurking behind the step and repeat in like the creepiest photo and videos I've ever seen where she's just like watching Meg get her photos taken and she's like staring her down with her tongue out. Then she's helping make Meg's cape fly for the photos and she's just like aggressively lifting up the cape on Meg's dress and like trying to make it fly and she's just the energy is off and then she's seated next to Meg interjecting herself into a convo between Meg and Doja so I don't know if you I mean EJ you were in Colorado during this you were rightfully in the mountains offline but on Twitter it was just going buck wild people every single new video was causing just like a riot online I think people are just confused because she really had her heyday I mean I don't know I think Kara's always been the thing is Kara is like she attached herself to a very specific crew of A-listers. Like, she's still friends with all of those, like, A-list models. And so she does spend a lot of time with them. Like, she's still, like, a fashion girly to an extent. So I don't think people were confused about her being there. She's invited to a lot of events. Like, she goes to the Met Gala every year. Like, she still, like, has, like, that clout with a certain level of, like, fame where she's, like, not an influencer where it's confusing, but she also is, like, not doing enough projects where, like, she would be nominated or has, like, any other reason to be there. But, like, I don't think people weren't confused that she was there. I think people were confused by how completely off-putting her energy was. Like, she was just, like, doing a lot of close talking. She was seeming to, like, eat up the scenery in every single video. I mean, she was really... The big joke from everyone is that she was really giving, like, 6 a.m. Coke binge. Like, that was, like, her entire vibe that people were kind of putting on her because she was really, really intense with every single person. Like, people were kind of genuinely creeped out by the way that she was acting towards Meg and towards Doja Cat at certain points. Like, it was just bad vibes and looked very, very uncomfortable. I mean, to go back to the L word, like, she's a Jenny who thinks that she's a Shane. And that's just, like, the worst person that you can possibly be. Yeah, I mean, it also presented the worst-case scenario for Hottie Nation that Meg and Kara are maybe hooking up. That was the other concern that people had. Personally, I think Meg is too committed to her boyfriend of the past year, Partisan Fontaine, for that to be true. But I don't know. We don't know. I mean, most celebrities, I assume, are poly. I feel like they're definitely hooking up. Yeah. I mean, Meg has never officially come out as bisexual, but she has hinted at it in her music and also has said things on like IG Live where she was like, I want a girlfriend. But people weren't sure if she was just kind of saying that or if she was actually coming out. So there's some gray area to Meg's own identification, but I feel like they probably have hooked up. At least once, people were kind of more so creeped out by her own antics and how, like, insane her energy was. And also people were concerned. People were... Because there's been a pattern in Cara Delevingne's public behavior that has added up to a level of kind of concern of, like, is everything okay? Is basically what the internet is at now. Because there was another video that went viral from last fall, that same night that people brought back. Because, again, this was Cara, a white woman, being very, very creepy and intense towards two Black women. But like in the fall, she had jumped on stage during an Azealia Banks concert. And while Banks is rapping her big hit 212, Kara is pretending to lick her leg. She's whispering in Azealia's ear mid-performance while Azealia is rapping. She takes the mic. She fell off the stage. It takes a lot to make Azealia Banks uncomfortable. <laughs> At this point, Cara Delevingne, is that how you say her name? Listen, Cara Delevingne, even if you're not using anything, you got to say you are. You got to lean into it. I'm so fucking eating you alive on Twitter right now, girl. Like, And she looks uncomfortable. Like, she is, like, looking concerned at Cara Delevingne. Like, what the fuck is happening? And have you seen the video of her and Eric Adams? No. <laughs> EJ. <laughs> Wait, have I? So the week before he got COVID, before Mayor Eric Adams got COVID, he was at a club with Cara Delevingne. And... They are like, I don't know, they're in the VIP section of this club. I really don't know what it was for and I don't care to find out. But like, like Eric Adams is just like standing there kind of semi-smiling and uncomfortably listening to rap music. And then Kara is like, just, I mean, just going wild behind him. I don't even know what she's going. Like, I don't know what's happening. It's like the middle of the day when this is happening too. And she's just like drinking from a bottle of champagne and just like making a bunch of weird faces at literally no one. And it's just like the wildest video I've ever seen. I just don't understand how she gets. I mean, I know you. she's friends with like all these famous people, but like, I do not understand how she gets in these spaces. She's like digmatized 
everybody. Yeah, I mean, again, like she was a list for a minute. Yeah, but but that that minute has long passed. Right, right, right. But I think like once you're now kind she of, just has like drunk aunt energy everywhere. Once you're like kind of good at. Uh, like attaching herself to a certain crowd like she's in with like the kardashians she's like best friends with kendall jenner she's like hanging out with all these a-list people like she's like gonna be in the next season of murders only in the building or whatever that selena gomez show is like she attaches herself to people who are genuinely very very famous and like hangs out with them constantly that you just kind of are continued to be invited to these places so even though her acting career never took off the way that she expected it to she still is like a a certain level of clout with all the people who are getting invited spaces that like if her acting career had taken off, she would have already just been invited to. Speaking of Kendall Jenner and speaking of straight people, we never talked about her cucumber chopping video. Oh my God. It's (laughs) funnier because she, I don't know if you've seen her architectural digest video. Yeah, I have. And she like talks (laughs) at length about how much her kitchen makes her want to cook and how much she like loves cooking in her kitchen. And then you watch her cut up a cucumber and she literally is like dislocating her shoulder. Watching rich people use knives really stresses me out because I don't know if you ever watched Selena and Chef. No, I didn't. But I know what you mean because I've seen Brooklyn Beckham's knife skills. So I understand exactly what you're talking about. So on Selena and Chef, basically the entire gist of the show is that Selena Gomez can't cook and all these famous chefs are teaching her how to cook virtually. And it is... To watch her try to cut bread during one of the episodes, I had a panic attack. I was like, I'm about to watch Selena Gomez of Wizards of Waverly Place chop off several fingers. <laughs> it was the most, al- watching her cut an onion, I was like, she's gonna, she's about to lose a lot of blood. And I'm gonna have to sit here and watch it like I have with every other episode of Selena and Chef. Well, maybe Kara can teach her. Maybe. maybe I, doubt, ma- I doubt Kara knows how to use a knife. Oh, I feel like Kara definitely knows how to use. She would do it in like a really sloppy and like attention-seeking way. You know what else I hate about Kara? Okay, have you seen her? I don't know why I keep referencing Architectural Digest, but her Architectural Digest video where she has like the vagina room, just like a big pink room that she calls the vagina room. She literally crawls through a vagina tunnel to get to a room. That is her vibe. I'm so angry that we're talking about her right now. I'm so angry you made us do this. (laughs) There's so much I forgot. Like, I hadn't thought about the sex harness shopping trip yes. that she did with, with Ashley Benson. I hadn't thought about that in years. And now I'm thinking about it again. Uh, I'm just angry. Yeah. And I mean, people were bringing up, too, that, like, everyone's been talking about, like, whether or not she's, like, unwell or, like, using a lot of drugs at this point. And we don't know. But there was a viral photo, which is, like, the funniest set of photos ever, where she drops, like, a dime bag of allegedly cocaine onto the ground and then, like, does a dance to, like, cover it up with her foot. <laughs> it is like the funniest set of photos I've ever seen in my entire life. It's like from years and years ago. This week we're talking about who's the Cara Delevingne of Broadway. I feel like Christian Borley. Aaron Tveit. <laughs> Aaron Tveit. God, this is so niche. These are such niche references. <laughs> Honestly, if you don't know who either of those two people are, just stop listening to this. I don't want you listening to this podcast. <laughs> You're unwelcome here. You're unwelcome here. But it's an interesting week for Broadway divas. Still got the Leah Michelle discourse circulating in the theater kid ether. I feel like my entire For You page is Leah Michelle content. Did you see that Bette Midler got canceled? Oh, yeah. What she about like the formula, right? Where she was like, yeah, yeah, kid. Yeah, exactly. She weighed in on the nationwide formula shortage, suggesting that women should just breastfeed instead. And then Julia Fox corrected her. Julia Fox is a fucking hero these days. But the diva who has had perhaps the best week is Patty Lupone. The actor slash singer slash Ryan Murphy collaborator who is currently starring in the revival of Company on Broadway, which Brittany and I both saw and loved. Amazing. Amazing. The cast did a talk back after the show and this lady was sitting in the front row not wearing her mask correctly. And Patty called her out. I Not really politely, I might add. Like, it was pretty aggro. And the woman, in turn, said something incredibly snide. She was like, I pay your salary, which is a very stupid Karen thing to say. And Patty proceeded to freak the fuck out at her. You pay my salary. Bullshit. Chris Harper pays my salary. Excuse 
Just put your mask over your nose. This went massively viral. Even non-theater kids who have no idea who Patti LuPone was saw this video. And it's in large part because this is far from the first time this has happened. Like, do you remember the last time that Patty went viral for screaming at audience members? Do I remember the last time Patty yelled at someone? Yes, of course I do. That was the funniest video I've ever seen. Yeah, that was in 2009 when yeah. she was Mama Rose. In oh God, it was so Ipsy. long ago. I know, I know. It was so long ago. Feels like just yesterday. It's celebrating its bat mitzvah. It's 13 years old. Mazel. And she saw this guy taking photos and she stopped to yell at him in what eventually became like an absolutely iconic moment in musical theater history. Stop taking pictures right now. You heard the announcement. Who do you think you are? Rights of performers everywhere because taking pictures, it's forbidden. Like they say at the beginning of the show, you can't do it. Like, so even if you've never been to a show before, you know, it's not okay. It's really bad theater kid etiquette. But it later turned out that Patty was actually totally in the wrong about this <laughs> because employees <laughs> at the St. James Theater said the guy was a reporter. So, like, obviously there are ways when you're, like, covering an event to sort of, like, reduce how intrusive you are. Like, you can turn the flash off, etc. But it was well within his right to take photos if he was there in an official capacity. Yeah. But that's not the version of the story that people know about this. That is not what has become incorporated into the Patty mythos. Did you know there is also another documented occasion where she yelled at an audience member? I did not. She did it again in 2015 at a show at 54 Below when she told a woman to shut up during her performance. It seems to have been relatively good-natured. She sings happy birthday to the woman afterwards. And, and to be fair, like talking during a performance is also terrible theater etiquette. But that's three times that Patti LuPone has made the news for screaming at people. You know, I respect a diva with her own sort of performing boundaries. Like, she knows what distracts her. She knows what she doesn't like. She's just calling out. Everything distracts Patti LuPone. I mean, listen, ADHD queen. Like, oh, you so see, you think this is neurodivergent? <laughs> <laughs> I think Patti LuPone might have some attention issues, and that's okay. I think, look, I told you, I told you when I, I said I want to talk about this, like my take is unpopular. And mm -hmm. I actually, I tweeted about it and I told my friend of the pod and former producer Dan Stein, huge Patty Stan, that like, hey, you know, I like, I don't think it's really cool that Patty has like made it her brand to scream at people. And he screamed at me. We got in the biggest fight. He told me that I was going to get dragged to hell by Patty Cakes, which is a term that he coined to describe Patty Lupone fans. Not patty, um, not patty cakes. I mean, making a brand out of humiliating audience members, like, I don't know. They have a fraction of the power and income that she does. And I know that that lady in the audience said, like, I pay your fat salary, which is a very Karen thing to say. But, like, so is screaming at people who make, like, a lot less money than you do and, like, getting off on humiliating them and turning it into, like, viral fodder. I don't no. know. Everybody in the theater kid community is like, yes, queen, like call them out, like respect your own boundaries. But I feel like if you've done this multiple times for multiple reasons throughout the course of your career, like at the very least, you're milking it for all it's worth. Yeah, I did see a, a longer video explaining like what happened to that night, like at the talk back. And it seemed like it was like a generally awful talk back as well, too. Like it seemed like there was already like an annoyance from the whole cast over like the actual kind of interview that was like ignoring like a couple of the women in company and like Patty kept getting talked over and all this other stuff. Like it seemed like it was a pretty bad night generally. So she was just like pissed off or yeah, it seemed like everyone was like pretty pissy. And I think like then Patty sees someone without a mask on and is like, here's my mark. Did you see that Fox News also called her out in the New York Post? No. Greg Gutfeld did a whole segment on Patti LuPone, like accusing her of elitism and bullying. And I saw it and I was like, I don't actually disagree with a lot of this. Yeah. Which did not make me feel great that I agreed with something <laughs> that was broadcast on Fox News. So let's talk about a cranky jackass who screams at people. I'm talking about Patti LuPone. She's a Broadway star and a loud, nasty one. I mean, you can't pick and choose your ideological bedfellows, I guess. I don't know. I'm a patty cake. You're a patty cake. Yeah. Right? Who isn't? <laughs> I'd love to meet someone who isn't. This woman who got screamed at. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How would you react if Patty screams at you? Because she probably will. I mean, statistically, you're more likely to get screamed at by Patty LuPone than die in a car accident. <laughs> 
I would never do anything to upset Patty. But you never know. It could be anything. It could be. You you could look at her the wrong way. Yeah. I mean, listen, I would be honored, I guess. I would just, it would be like, who's the biblical, the lady who died after fucking her father who turned into (laughs) salt? (laughs) I, Am I, I making know. this EJ, up? <laughs> I think you made that. It sounds like something you heard on TikTok. Yeah, it does sound like something you heard on TikTok. <laughs> speaking, speaking of biblical sins, such as murder, if you've listened to the Dirty John podcast or if you've watched the adaptation on Bravo, what, did you watch it, Brittany? Mm-hmm. You must have. Yeah, Eric Bana's in it. Why would you not? I mean, I was watching for Connie Britton, my queen. I, but either way, it's the Cara Delevingne of like crime series because it's truly got something for everybody of every sexual orientation. It was really good. But yeah, I loved the podcast. It was LA Times, right? LA Times article that like mm-hmm. published that in the podcast. And the story is, I mean, it's just like a really good read and a really good podcast. Yeah, it's an insane story. It's about John Meehan, this con artist who seduced women by pretending to be a doctor and then proceeded to financially and psychologically ruin them. And if you're familiar with that story, then you're also probably familiar with the story of Tara Newell, who is the true crime addict who killed Mian in self-defense in 2016 after he tried to abduct her in a parking lot. She was the daughter of one of his victims. It was a role that was ultimately portrayed on the show by Julia Garner. Well, Tara is going viral on TikTok now, thanks to this video she posted when she first joined the platform. Hi, guys. I am Tara, and I killed my stepdad in self-defense. The video is very jarring for obvious reasons. A lot of people do edit it sort of mocking its sunny tone. And Tara has responded to this criticism by basically saying this is how she deals with her trauma, like as a true crime fan herself. And it's how she bonds with other survivors. I'm Tara and I killed my stepdad in self-defense. I'm next. Okay. um, I'm Dana. uh, And my fun fact, I've been... To, to 28 states. So TikTok has traditionally been not so great a place for survivors of trauma and violent crime. But Tara is doing something that I think is really interesting. She's kind of co-opting her trauma and her experience as a survivor of violent crime and making it her own. We decided to talk to Tara about why she joined TikTok and what her intentions are. Please welcome Tara Newell to the podcast. Trigger warning for graphic description of violence and murder. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me here. So tell us quickly about why we're talking to you today. Like what happened to you in 2016 that you're talking about on TikTok now? In 2016, my stepdad went after me in a parking garage after my mom left him for the second time. And he ended up stabbing me and I ended up killing him in self-defense. And why did you want to join TikTok to tell the story in the first place? Well, TikTok is really a place where, to be honest, I thought it was for kids at first. And then other survivors started telling me, like, Collier Landry, he's one of my good friends, and I'm working on a few projects with him. But he told me, that's the place to tell your story. So I went on there and I was just like, hi, I'm Tara. I killed my stepdad in self-defense because I didn't know where to start. And that's really what I wanted to start the conversation about. So I went on TikTok to start this narrative from my own point of view, because there's so many places that tell my story. And I'm so thankful for those places that tell my story. However, some of them don't include me. I never really make money off of it unless it's like a random show that pays. And I did sell my story rights, but that is a lump sum. And there's people that if Dirty John goes to season three, then they start making like fat residuals off of it. So it's unfair that these victims and survivors have these stories out there and they're not really being told 
from 100% their narrative. And there's people just reaping in the money off of it. Out of curiosity, how much were you paid for those life rights? Like how much have you actually profited off of the story so far? In total, probably 120000 altogether within like four years. And me being like on TV shows and selling my life rights and everything. And you said in your video, that's not like an amount of money that's sustainable over a lifetime of telling this story. Well, in Southern California, not at yeah. all. Maybe if I lived somewhere else, 100%, it could get me a house. But here, I could not even get a fifth of the house. <laughs> so that money actually lasted me nine months. So are you actually monetizing your TikTok presence right now? No, not at all. But I want to start to have that conversation with people and just make them aware of what true crime, the reality of true crime in telling your story is. And you mentioned Collier Landry, another survivor. And can you tell us a little bit about Collier and why did he want you to come onto this platform? So I was on Collier's podcast, Moving Past Murder. I just connected with him because of his story. He was 11 years old and overheard his mom get murdered by his father. And it was a missing persons case. No one took anyone seriously until he was like, there's something not right. I think my dad killed my mom. And so the detective, one of the detectives, went to call your school and started talking to him about it and noticed, okay, something's not right here. And so call your really fought for his mom's case to be present. This boy fought for his life and fought for the justice of his mom. So I was just incredibly moved by this person and their story. And they started sharing their story on TikTok and it started getting that momentum. People started talking about it and respecting him for that. And it just really encouraged me to go forward and tell my story on there. And I hope other survivors will do the same because we all need to band together and support each other. You mentioned that your story has been told pretty much ad nauseum by True Crime Podcasts, the Dirty John series where your mom is played by Connie Britton is probably the most notable example. So it's been told many times. And I mean, in effect, the story is over, right? Like John Mann is dead. So why tell this story again now? And what holes are you planning to fill with your version of it that aren't told by these other adaptations? So for me and other survivors, our story just doesn't end there. We have PTSD. We have a lot to deal with. And every time our story's told, it triggers us. It brings us back to a certain place. Um, and for me, I've really been in the media a lot to be able to process through my story that way. When a dramatic TV show is shown about your life and it's scripted for legality reasons, they have to change a lot. So for my sister, I don't have a sister named Veronica. I don't have a cousin named Topi. Like they changed a lot of names. So like the scripted series is a little bit different than reality. And it just sucks that my narrative has to be taken from me sometimes because you have to leave stuff out. But coming on TikTok, I'm able to tell my story from start to finish of how I want to tell it. And when you tell your story on a different platform that you don't own, they're going to take it and edit it how they want to. And I understand that that's what you guys are going to do today with my episode. And I appreciate it because you are having me be heard by other people and giving me that platform to boost my story. So I'm forever grateful for that. But me on TikTok, it's me telling my story start to finish of how I want to tell it. And you brought up a great point that I think when we talk about true crime and for true crime obsessives, where what happens to survivors after this just horrific event that happens in their lives. And you've spoken on your TikTok about recovery from this and kind of dealing with the PTSD of this experience. Can you talk us through kind of the type of therapy you sought out and how you've sought to recover from this event? So 
It took a while to kind of realize what was happening. I had to understand what PTSD was because after my attack, I would go into rage. I would go into fits and I didn't understand that that was the aftermath, the triggers of my attack. And so I really had to understand that. I had to understand that going out, partying and drinking wasn't healthy for me in that moment. Well, it's not really healthy for me in my life personally. And so I cut all that out. I stopped going out and partying with my friends. and But I was going out and like binging, like going out to like 3 a.m., 6 a.m. And living that lifestyle. So it was completely unhealthy for me, especially with my trauma. And it made things worse. And one day things got so bad that I ended up having to go to Texas. And one of my sisters lives in Texas and she took time off. I was able to go there, get into therapy. I started EMDR therapy and it's eye motion desensitization repetition. And it is so amazing for trauma survivors. It because your brain chemistry is changed when you go through a traumatic event and then you go through EMDR and it helps rewire your brain back to the normal state where I actually had complex PTSD. So I am not fully healed with a lot of stuff yet, but I'm working on it and I've taken care of so many triggers like getting grabbed by the waist, dog sparking, and other stuff to do with my attack. A lot of people, when you posted on TikTok, they called your videos creepy or they said that you seemed unemotional about your attack, even cheerful. What did you make of that feedback? I feel that it's a little hurtful because everybody processes trauma differently. However, I do understand that like me being like, hi, I'm Tara. I killed my stepdad in self-defense. That's a lot to take in. And if I saw that on there, I might be like, oh, wow, is she okay? (laughs) No, I I understand. (laughs) But, you know, for me to hear that, it's also like, wow, that's my trauma. That's hurtful. I'm a person. But then it's also like, oh, yeah, I understand that that's a lot to take in. And you're just like, is I might have a lot of questions now if I hadn't heard the story. (laughs) Well, I guess my question would be, why did you choose to present it in that way? Well, I went on there because I was just like, I don't know how to start. And I like, I don't know why, but my brain probably went back to like AA meetings, even though I don't belong to AA meetings. And I was just like, how do I start? And I'm like, well, I'm Tara and I'll tell them what I did. So I killed my stepdad in self-defense. And I just was like, I want a short simple video because I was also thinking like TikTok's like short videos, right? (laughs) And very new and not familiar with the space. I didn't know that you could do three minute videos. So I thought, okay, I just got to make it real quick because when you click on the video for TikTok, when you don't know how to use it, it only allows you to do like a couple seconds. So I'm just like, okay, I got to do it real quick. And so that's why I also came out with that video because I don't know the space and I thought I just had to do something really quickly. You did a video where you talk about the shows that taught you how to hold a knife and that helped you when you survived your attack. So why did you make that video and share those shows? I wanted to make that video and share the resources of the shows that I watched. I watched Dexter. That one, when I held the knife, that actually, like I held it tighter because of Hannah McKay. When she stabbed someone in that show, she had a scar. And so I was like, I don't want a scar like Hannah McKay. And Dexter talks a lot about blood spatter and how to kill a serial killer. So in that sense, I had a little bit of knowledge from that. And The Walking Dead helped me a lot because I religiously watched that show and I killed him like a zombie. Like his head, I grabbed his head so he wouldn't bite me. And then I did the last two stab wounds to the brain because that's how you kill a zombie. And then another show that really helped me was Burn Notice because 
in that show, he talked about how in a knife attack, you have to control the knife. And so when I went into my knife attack, I thought, okay, I have to control the knife, even though you don't think that like when you're 15 watching Burn Notice, that that's something that's going to help you later in life. It's sort of surreal talking to you about this, to be honest, because there's been a lot of criticism about the true crimeification of culture, like on TikTok, especially, and how people sort of view these real life stories of survivors as fictional narratives and kind of consume them as entertainment, right? And here you are, you're a real life survivor and you're talking about consuming entertainment about true crime that you experienced and how that helped you survive this event. I mean, do you ever like think about the cognitive like dissonance there? I think about it really often, especially now. (laughs) I've been consuming so much true crime, kind of going off of like, people hating on people watching these true crime shows and whatnot. I think that if you're someone that's a narcissist or a psychopath or a sociopath and you're watching these shows, I think that that is concerning. But I think that if you're a normal, empathic person and you're watching these shows, that you get so much more. You get like, oh, I could survive this way if I'm ever in this situation. You get like the empathy and you want to support the survivor if a survivor's on a show, or at least like that's how I feel when I see a true crime show and someone survives. I just want to hug them. I want to send them a message and let them know that they're supported because trauma isn't a fun thing. And given what EJ mentioned about the way that people consume these real life stories as sort of fictional narratives, entertainment, now that you've gone viral with sort of your direct telling and retelling of this experience, are you feeling an exploitation on TikTok from people who are consuming your story, sharing your video, stitching your video, commenting? Like, is there a sense of exploitation from the people who are consuming it at all? In a sense, yes. The ones that repost it and they're just like, what the heck? Well, the one, I think some of those are funny, actually. But the ones that are just like, rude. And then there's other people that say, like, you should be in jail, blah, 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 blah. And I think that When you say that, like, it's a sense of fictional to that person, even though they're saying you should be in jail for what you did, because to the reality, they're not realizing that I had to defend myself in self-defense. I had to take a life and I didn't want to take this life. I tried to run away at first, but unfortunately I had to take his life. And fortunately, because now I have seen how much it has helped people and how evil of a man this guy really was. But I don't like to live with the fact that I killed this person. And, you know, when people say that, it is very hurtful to me in that moment. And they're not getting that this is a reality. How many people are dead because their lover or ex-lover tried to kill them or killed a family member because they left them. And so I really want people to know that this is a hard reality that's out there. And I'm really happy that so many people have wrote me. And this is why I share my story, because so many people have written me and told me, I left my abuser because I heard your story. Or I went to CrimeCon and I talked about how I defended myself in the attack. And people actually use that to defend themselves in their attacks. And I've had so many women written me and just I get emotional (laughs) at this part because it's just amazing that so many people have written me and told me that I've saved their lives. And I really don't like to put my story out there in a sense. But when I get this feedback, I'm like, okay, this is my dharma. This is what I'm supposed to do. This I'm supposed to help save lives. Thank you so much, Tara, for sharing your story and talking with us today. (laughs) 
Welcome to Himbo of the Week, where we bestow the only award men should receive. So I'm thrilled to report that a man I've wanted to date for the last 15 years of my life is back in the news, Matthew Gray Goobler. The actor known for 500 Days of Summer and Criminal Minds was a Tumblr it boy back during my high school years because of his emo art himbo vibes and weird, creepy Tim Burtony drawings that he posts all the time that I would then... He's a fucking weirdo. <laughs> He's a really weird guy. A strange energy. I can't help but be attracted to it. He just... There's something about him. I can't put my finger on it, but... He's hot. It's, that's, it's that's, hot. What the, that's what there's something about him. He's hot. hot and he's funny. There's a darkness to his vibe that I enjoy. So I have not seen anything he's been in other than 500 Days of Summer. I know there's a big Criminal Minds fandom. I don't care to join it. So he's hot and I don't care if he can act and what he's acting in, but people seem to like Criminal Minds. So the thing about Matthew Gay Goobler is that he just seems to really be everywhere. He is the most easily meetable B-list actor in the world. Fans, of which he has many, he has many, many fans, always seem to spot the guy in the street and he always cheerily agrees to a pick. This past week, he was stopped by the People's Gallery, a NYC street fashion TikTok account that interviews random people about their cool outfits. Matthew Gray Goobler was, and I have to use his full name. I'm not going to call him Matthew. I'm not going to call him Goobler. It's Matthew Gray Goobler was indeed wearing a very cool outfit. It was a Robin's A colored suit with a pale yellow button down and these 70s style orange tinted sunglasses. He is as jovial as ever asking the interviewer about their outfit and complimenting a fan who recognizes him mid-interview. Hey, how you doing today? Doing great. How are you doing? Fine. Can't complain. Describe your fit. Um, blue. I don't know. Very like a Smurf going to prom. Okay. Okay. We get this outfit from. Um, I got it in Japan. Uh, from a friend's place. I forget the name. I'm terrible. Um, yeah. It was. I know. Hey, how are you doing? It's it's fine. It's it's all good. Oh, hey. Okay. Oh, cool pants. Check out our pants. See the pants. See the pants. Yeah, yeah. Like matching. We look like two tulips that are growing on spring day. So the video also went viral on Twitter, as these things often do, like once they kind of reach a certain TikTok status. And the recurring comment from everyone is that it seems like the People's Gallery didn't know Matthew Gray Goobler is famous, which, to be fair, they maybe didn't. There's no reason to know who Matthew Gray Goobler is unless you were on Tumblr in the years 2012 to 2015. So there is a tone of that in the way that he's approached. But I also think this is just the vibe of the TikTok account because a couple of videos after Matthew Gray Goobler, Aziz Ansari has also stopped on the street to be interviewed about his look in a very similar tone. And I feel like the interviewer was likely aware of who Aziz Ansari is. So maybe that's just the vibe. Anyway... Matthew Gray Goobler is like a very weird kind of famous too, where like you either have no idea who he is or you're completely obsessed with him. There's like no gray area. There's literally no in between. There's no like, I don't know his name, like, but I recognize his face. Like either you know both or you have never seen this man in your life. (laughs) There's genuinely no in in between. Yeah. Again, like if you were on Tumblr in the years that I mentioned, you have seen his face and his name and a lot of weird edits about him for years. And he's just, yeah, his fandom is huge. I'm always like, genuinely shocked at how many people think he's hot too and it's a lot of like like really young like a lot of like gen z girls also are goobler stands goobler heads if you will and it's just like it's wild goobler's I'm like, does Tumblr still exist? Are people still doing that? Is it just, they're just finding them on Instagram? Like, what's going on here? But you know what? I'm happy. I'm happy for Matthew Gray Goobler. The fit went off. I mean, it was a very good look. I would have stopped him on the street too and been like, hey, that's a great suit. And I've been like, holy shit, you're Matthew Gray Goobler. But like, it was a good fit. So Matthew Gray Goobler, you will always be extremely famous art boy himbo to me. I love you forever. Hold on. You was calling for way too long now. Maybe you should get some food, get some water, and then come back later. Thanks so much for listening to Don't Let This Flop. Please share this podcast with someone you love or someone you hate. Either way, we don't care which one. This podcast is brought to you by Rolling Stone and Cumulus Podcast Network, written and hosted by me, EJ Dixon, and Brittany Spanos. Executive produced by Jason Fine, Bridget Chelsea, and Elizabeth Garber-Paul, and produced by Jesse Cannon with music by Brian DeMeglio. 